if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 13th chapter of the book of Romans as we continue our study through the Word. So as we've been working our way through the book of Romans, you'll remember the first eight chapters that looked at the new covenant and pulled apart how we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a free gift from God. And, and so Paul really breaks out the theology of the new covenant that, uh, that we are in. You remember that at the end of the eighth chapter, then the question of what about the nation of Israel? If, the nation of Israel was God's people in the Old Covenant and they have been set aside. Uh, what about them? And so chapters 9, 10, and 11 dealt with that issue of the nation of Israel, their past, their present, uh, and their future. And so that brought us to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we saw Paul now begin to give those uh, exhortations and uh, encouragements of how we should conduct ourselves uh, as believers. You'll remember that it talked about that uh, our reasonable service was to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. Now that we're saved, washed, cleansed, now that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is reasonable for us to now participate in the building of the kingdom of God. Paul went on to exhort us to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. Each he has given different gifts, but yet the gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ. And, and then the chapter closed with just a bunch of exhortations and instructions and encouragements about loving others, not living for the flesh but to live now in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord as we move into this 13th chapter here we're going to see that Paul is going to really talk about our relationship to government we see how it is that uh, that we are to conduct ourselves now that we're a citizen of heaven what about our citizenship here upon this earth? Now remember that Paul is writing to the Romans and Rome was the, was the capital city of the Roman Empire. And, and remember that when you were a Roman citizen that that gave you tremendous benefits there within the Roman Empire. And so citizenship within the, uh, the empire was a, a, a big issue. But how do we reconcile that now with citizenship citizenship in heaven and and so Paul is going to deal with that issue here what is the role of the state in human affairs and how is the state to relate to to the church of Jesus Christ and and how are we as God's people to relate to the government's authority we see that not only in length but also in detail here in chapter 13 the new Testament gives us the clearest instruction uh, on this matter. We see also that Paul is going to talk once again about that, that new commandment that the Lord has given to us to uh, love uh, one another and particularly to uh, love our neighbor. And, and we see that the chapter is going to close with, uh, with an encouragement and an exhortation for us to put on Christ. Let's jump in here to this first verse of the 
13th chapter and it says let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God and so here we see that Paul begins by let every soul and so we see the accompanying statement here be subject to the governing authorities now I want you to know that God established three institutions here upon this earth the institution of the family the institution of the church and the institution of government and so we see that he has ordered these and given us instruction with regards to us Paul tells us that we're to be subject to our government and this now defines the obligation that we have as Christians he goes on to talk about the sovereignty of God he says that there is no authority except from God and so we see God is the one that has established the authority of government now I want you to notice with me here that nothing is said about the form of government he doesn't talk about a dictatorship or socialism or communism or democracy or or any of the different types of organization of government but instead we see that the declaration is in the sovereignty of God we see that we are to subject ourselves to the governing authorities because they're appointed by God and they serve a purpose in his plan we see that we are to be subject to those powers and authorities of government not if we agree with the government but as a matter of principle Paul says that there is no authority except from God and God is the one that appoints uh, leaders he raises up kingdoms he raises up uh, leaders and he takes them down and so God's appointment uh, of a nation's leaders uh, aren't always a, a blessing to the people sometimes God will raise up a, a person over a, a nation in order to bring judgment uh, upon them you remember Pharaoh and remember how back in chapter 9 it says for the scripture says to Pharaoh for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in, in all the earth. Now I want you to remember the plagues that God sent as Moses came to Pharaoh and he said let my people go. God has instructed you to let my people go and Pharaoh says who is your God that I should obey him I most certainly will not let your people go and and so we began to see the mighty works of God as the plagues started to come upon the the nation and as Pharaoh continued to resist I want you to imagine for a minute that if Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says let my people go and Moses and Pharaoh says okay go what testimony there would have been in that but instead have we ever seen such a demonstration of God as we saw when he 
allowed Pharaoh to continue to resist him. And then ultimately, remember that in Pharaoh's heart was he let the people go, but then he changed his mind and he sends his entire army out uh, after them. And, And what does God do? God destroys the entire army all by himself. The nation of Israel loses not one person in the battle. And the greatest military might with the chariots and the power and the shields and the swords and the spears and the helmets and the armor that they had, uh, all of it absolutely destroyed. And the other nations, when they heard that, they feared God and the nation of Israel. And, and so God allowed a Pharaoh whose heart would be hard against him, who would continue to resist, 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 so that what? So that his reputation could be established and to be put on display. God has an eternal perspective and, and he raises the nations up and takes them down again. We see that in the end times that there is going to be a, a rising up and a taking down of, of nations. We see that the nation of, uh, of Russia, which is currently in the news, in the end times, listen, they are going to take and make an alliance uh, uh, with a confederation of Muslim nations and they're going to come against the nation of Israel. And so we are seeing the, the, the movements and the jockeyings of the alliances and the nations. We see that uh, Iran's desire is to absolutely destroy the nation of Israel. And Iran is one of those Muslim nations that is going to come against. But we see that uh, Iran and Russia have a very close relationships uh, with uh, one another. We see that God is the one that, that moves uh, sovereignly uh, here and that the institution of government, that was created by God we see that in verse 2 it says therefore whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves and so to resist governmental authority we see in principle is to resist the ordinance of uh, of God since governments have authority from God we are bound to, to obey them unless of course they are order us to do something that contradicts specifically God's word and so you remember how when Peter and John were arrested and and they were told that they're not to share the name of Jesus uh, any longer with uh, with anybody. And they answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when a government orders us to do something that is against the word of God, against the declaration of God, we see that in in those uh, moments we are to obey God uh, over government, uh, but we see that government uh, is... uh, given the uh, authority to put a check upon man's sinful desires and and tendencies. We see that government can be an effective tool in restraining the effect of of man's fallenness. It says in verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good 
and you will have praise from the same for he is God's minister to you for good but if you do evil be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain but he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. We see here that Paul is declaring that Christians, as Christians, we should be the very best of citizens. We should be model citizens. Do what is good and you shall have praise. He says that he does not bear the sword in vain. The governments do not bear the sword in vain. The sword is a reference to capital punishment. And so we see that God has given authority of governments to enforce capital punishment. And so here we see in the Roman Empire, criminals were typically executed not by the cross. I think that a lot of people would get that wrong in a multiple choice in question that that the cross and crucifixion was only reserved for the for the very worst of criminals and uh, but the common method of execution in the Roman Empire was the sword and so they would behead you uh, with the sword and so Paul here is talking about capital punishment and and we see that the state has the legitimate authority to execute criminals now I know that there is you know sometimes a, a discussion about capital punishment and whether or not you know we should believe and have even capital punishment I want you to know that the scripture is very clear that the government has the authority to execute criminals and capital punishment is absolutely a, a biblical concept and and so here we see that Paul in Romans is saying that the government doesn't bear the sword in vain we see that the purpose of the government is temporal and it focuses on civil order we see that the government's chief purpose is to establish and maintain civil order and also to protect the nation uh, from the attack of other nations and so to be peaceful with its surrounding nations and to have peace within the fabric of society these are the the two chief purposes uh, of government but we see that those are just temporal the purpose of the church is the eternal kingdom of God I like what one commentator wrote he said even the absolute best of human governments do not participate in the work of the kingdom and the worst of human society systems cannot hinder the power of the word and the spirit God instituted civil authority for an entirely different temporal and transient in purpose we see that this world is passing away but the kingdom of God is eternal and will never pass away governments have authority in this temporal reign but they do not have authority in the eternal reign and so we see in verse 5 it says therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath but also for conscience's sake and so uh, we are to be uh, subject uh, to the uh, the government and and Paul gives us two reasons here number one uh, is to avoid punishment but also we see it is to heed our conscience our conscience will 
prod us because God has told us that, uh, that we are to obey uh, the ordinances uh, of uh, the government. Does that mean that we have to drive 25 miles an hour when clearly the road was made to be driven at 50 miles an hour? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> we're to uh, obey the, uh, the ordinances of the, uh, the government. Why? Because God asks us to. You see, not because the, the, the ordinance, you agree with it and, and that you think that it is a good ordinance, but we are to do it to reflect uh, the glory of our God. And so we are to be model citizens uh, uh, for the glory of God. So submission to, to God is ordained, uh, no, submission to government is ordained uh, by God. In verse six, for because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending to this very thing. Now, you remember that the Jews, they chafed uh, underneath the Roman occupation. There were those who were the, the nationalists, the fanatics. They were known as the religious zealots. Uh, and they refused to, to pay taxes to Rome. They would engage in attacks upon the, uh, the Romans and the rulers. And, and we see that, uh, that they also terrorized not only the, uh, the Romans, but, but even their own countrymen who they considered to be traitors. They believed that if you were paying taxes to, uh, to Romans and you were a traitor to the nation uh, itself, they continued to use guerrilla warfare and rebellion against the, uh, the Romans, not paying the, the taxes. And, and we see that ultimately what ended up happening uh, is, is that the Romans came in and just simply destroyed the, the nation in A.D. 70. They, they come in and they wipe out over a million Jews that were there in Jerusalem. One million, one hundred thousand men, women, children, and priests, and, and all. They just absolutely destroyed them. And, and so we see here again that it tells us that we are to be uh, obedient to, to the government and and even in the paying of our taxes we see in verse 7 it says render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due customs to whom customs fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor and so uh, we are to give to the state whatever is owed to them or to do to them money and honor and and proper reverence are all due um, to the state You'll remember that this issue of paying taxes was a, was a question that was brought before Jesus himself. You'll remember that the Pharisees came and asked, is it lawful to pay taxes? Now, <coughs> you'll remember that when that question was being asked, it wasn't really an authentic question. They were seeking to trap uh, Jesus uh, uh, on the matter. But you'll remember how Jesus did answer the, the question. He asked for a denarii. 
and, and he took the coin and he said, whose inscription is, uh, is on that? And there was the, uh, the, an impression of the emperor uh, upon it. And, and they said, and Caesar. And Jesus said, then give to Caesar uh, what is Caesar, but render unto God the things that are God's. Now, the, the coin had the stamp of, uh, of Caesar upon it. And so that showed ownership that that is a Roman coin. And, and so here we see that Jesus says that you're to give what belongs to, to those. And he says, and to God, the things that are God's. And, and what are God's? Worship and, and love and devotion. Those are the things that we are to give to God. But we are to give honor to the, the government. It is an institution that has been established by God. And so we are to give honor to them. We see here that when God established these three institutions, he gave each one authority. We see the family, and God has established the family as an institution. He has ordered the authority uh, within a family and has created the, uh, the family. We see that God has established the church, and God has given order to the church as well. And we see that God has established uh, government and given authority to government uh, as well. It is not the church's uh, duty to bear the sword. It is the government that does that. It is the state's duty to restrain and to punish uh, evil. Uh, and so we see here that, uh, that in a democracy in which uh, we live in, when we have the choice between governments, when we have a choice between candidates, it is right to choose and to promote the one that is the most legitimate in the eyes of God, the one that will best fulfill God's purpose uh, for governments. And, and in a democracy, in a sense, we are the, the government. And so uh, we should not hesitate to help govern, to get involved as God calls us to certainly to use our uh, our vote and to participate in the the democratic process that is a, a duty and a responsibility that uh, we have to reflect uh, the values uh, of the kingdom uh, of God we see that Paul shifts in gears now having talked about our role with the government and being submission to the authority of the uh, the government he, he now is going to talk about our relationships with one another he says in verse 8 oh no one anything except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled uh, the law and so we see here that the only debt that we're to carry as believers is the debt to love one another. And this is an ongoing obligation that, uh, that we carry both before God and one another. Now, some have used this verse to say that we should never borrow money from each other and that God has, uh, has given us the command not to borrow money. But we see that Jesus uh, permitted 
the borrowing uh, of money. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, Jesus said, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And so we see that Paul isn't talking here about the aspect of borrowing uh, money or uh, a debt with, with, with reference uh, unto capital. He is talking about our spiritual obligation or our spiritual debt uh, of loving uh, one another. We see in verse 9, he says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, uh, are all summed up in this saying, Namely, you shall love your neighbor uh, as yourself. We see that Paul then quotes from the Ten Commandments and, and he sums it, it up uh, now with the you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You remember that Jesus uh, also was asked the question, what is the greatest of all of the commandments? And, and you remember Jesus' answer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so loving God and then uh, loving others. You shall love your neighbor uh, as uh, yourself. I want you to know that when Jesus said those words, that those were now being repeated right from Leviticus. Those weren't Jesus's uh, words. Uh, uh, those were the words that Moses had recorded in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says this, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I am the Lord. Lord. And so here we see that the law that was given to Moses is summarized uh, here uh, in the loving your neighbor uh, as yourself. He says in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor and therefore love is the fulfillment uh, of the law. And so we see that love does no harm. Love does not keep on working evil. That's the, uh, the translation in the original language to its uh, neighbor. Uh, and so we see that only in Christ can a person meet this or any of the requirements of the uh, law because love is the fulfillment uh, uh, of the law. I think that it's important that we make sure that we don't get caught up in doing all the right religious things and then be found to be neglecting love. That was the issue of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were doing all the right religious things. They, they had all the right outward manifestations, and, but yet there was no love that was within their hearts. God calls us to grow and to learn how to love uh, others. And, and we need to be careful not to, to fall into that trap of, uh, of doing the right religious things, uh, but neglecting love. Our love is the true measure of our obedience to God. Our love, the love that is flowing out of our life, 
is the true measure of our obedience to God. We see that God calls us and tells us to love. He tells us to, to love from the lovables all the way to the, the, the impossibles, all the way to our enemies. And, and this is what God says. God says, let me judge and let me punish. And you just learn how to, how to love everybody. Let me settle the scorecards. I, I, I'll be the one that sorts everything out. And, and I want you, even to the people that don't deserve it, even to the people that don't warrant it or merit it, I want you to just simply learn how to love everybody. Get good at loving. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to move past Learn how to be gracious. Learn how to be long-suffering towards those who are mistreating you. Learn how to turn the other cheek. We, we see these are the instructions, and, and so the, the law gives us the, the details, but what is the heart behind the, the law? The heart behind it all is learn how to love. Your maturity as a believer is seen in the growing capacity of being able to love. To be able to love better than you did a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. To be able to be gentler, kinder, more long-suffering in your relationships, able to, to hold our tongues, to have the Holy Spirit contain the words that come out of our mouths, to be able to build up and not tear down, to, to not be raising our voices and shouting, not getting angry like we used to do when the flesh was ruling over us. And, and so we see that there is more love that is coming uh, out of our lives on a daily basis that is the the challenge that we have in front of us and and so uh, we see that love is the fulfillment uh, of the law of God. You remember that Jesus is a new command that, uh, that I give to you, that you love one another. The Bible tells us by this they will know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. And so God is changing us and doing a work in us, and, and it is through our capacity to love that God gets the glory for that and and so this becomes our uh, our testimony in verse 11 it says and, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first uh, believed and so here we see that uh, Paul is telling us to to be aware of the time in which we are living the salvation that he is talking about is the return of Jesus Christ uh, here upon this earth the, the apostles watched uh, Jesus uh, ascend into heaven with the promise that he is going to return again and so all of the 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 happenings that are transpiring are preparatory to the return of Christ he says the night 
is far spent. The day uh, is at hand. Now, the night that he's talking about uh, here is, is the time while Christ is absent. Satan is at work here, and that's described uh, as the night. But uh, the day, this now, is going to uh, end, be the second coming of uh, Jesus Christ. The, the day is at hand. So he is saying the time that uh, the enemy has had to work it's far spent it is late into the night we are getting ready for the return of Jesus Christ and he says therefore in light of that let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light and so since the day is almost here we see that Paul urges us to put aside the uh, the deeds of darkness and to put on the the armor of uh, light we see the illustration comes from taking off and and putting on clothes when when you get dressed uh, every day you you dress uh, appropriately it is interesting that Paul now talks about putting on Christ. He, he says when you get up in the morning, you, you look at your clothes and, and you make a decision as to what clothes you are going to wear. You check the weather to find out what the temperature is going to be like and, and whether you're going to be going to something fancy or casual. You, you are going to choose the attire. And, and he talks about you know just the amount Amount of attention think about it for just a minute how much attention do we put uh, into clothing how much time do we spend shopping and matching and uh, outfits and shoes and, and and deciding whether or not hey uh, this match is pretty good uh, here you know or this shirt's getting a little tight in places uh, you know the, and, and all and and then not only do we shop and not only do we purchase the clothes then then we have to keep them clean and keep them ironed and keep them in the uh, our closets and and just the amount of time that we spend in what we are going to put on when we get up in the morning and what Paul says is don't forget to put that same amount of attention into putting on Christ in, in the morning how much time do we spend thinking about walking in the Spirit, thinking about loving others today, about putting God first, about resisting temptation, about bringing glory to God? What functions am I going to have today? What temptations am I going to have? What am I going to spiritually need today? He says, think about how much time you put into what you're going to wear. And don't neglect the most important thing that you're going to put on. And that's putting on Christ. And so put on the, the armor of light. Be ready for your day spiritually. Our clothing is part of our, our physical preparation for the day. But what about our spiritual preparation? And so the, uh, the reminder here to every single day put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We wouldn't think of walking outside without any clothes on whatsoever. And Paul says, and don't even consider walking outside 
and not in being in your armor, not ready to be spiritually victorious in your daily walk. He says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And so he says every day, armor up, make sure that you put the armor of God uh, on and, and don't make any provision for the flesh. The flesh will be as active, listen, as we allow it. The, act of the flesh in your life is going to be as active as, as you allow it to be. We see that, uh, that it says here not to make any provision for your flesh, but uh, we see also that there's more graphic terms where it talks about crucifying your flesh. And we're to crucify our flesh how often? daily every single day in the same way that we get dressed every single day in the same way that we're going to put on the uh, the armor of god every single day we're going to contend with the appetites uh, of the flesh because you see you're either going to be loving yourself or you're going to be loving others you're either going to be selfish today and when you're selfish today and loving yourself then uh, then you're not loving others you're loving yourself but in order to love others you first have to die to yourself you first have to crucify your flesh you first have to make no provision for your flesh or else it is going to absorb uh, all of your attention and and so uh, here we see to put on the lord jesus christ and to make no provision for the flesh as we close our study here on this chapter i wanted to draw our attention for a minute back to verse two back to where paul's talking about uh, submission to authority or resisting uh, authority and he says therefore whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of god and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves Resisting authority uh, is going to bring judgment uh, upon yourself. And, and that got me to thinking that that's true not only here upon this uh, earth, not only in our, uh, in our own existence within the laws of the land. When we resist the laws of the land, we're going to bring judgment upon ourselves. When a police officer goes to arrest somebody and, and they resist that authority, regardless of whatever they were being arrested for, they now are going to be charged with resisting <laughs> Uh, arrest uh, in addition to that they they are going to face a judgment because they have resisted the rightful authority uh, that is uh, in place and so the resisting uh, of a proper authority is going to bring judgment down upon that person but it got me to thinking that that's also true spiritually that when a person resists God, that ultimately that is going to bring judgment upon them. Not only just in sin itself, when we are resisting God, it means that we are holding on to sin because God would always have us to turn away from our sin and to turn towards Him. 
That is true in the everyday manifestation of our decisions, but it is also true in the eternal judgment that is going to come. You see, every single person is going to, at one moment, stand before God. And they are going to be judged. And they're going to be judged for their sin. It says that the person that resists authority is going to bring judgment upon themselves. And, and we see that the Word of God tells us that, that we are going to stand before God. And we are going to be stand, we're going to stand before God and be judged. Either we are going to have our sin judged there, or our sin was already judged uh, at the cross. We see that God has given an invitation to every single person to be reconciled uh, unto himself, that uh, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we see that God has declared that, that he has sent the rescuer for us, and he has given us that invitation to spend all eternity with him. But if we resist that invitation, if we resist the, the offer of God, if we resist the uh, authority of God, what does it say? It says that we're going to bring judgment uh, upon ourselves. The judgment before God. We see that God is so loving and so merciful and so gracious that, that he is willing to forgive every single one of our sins. That he has made this invitation and this offer to us through Christ. And when we accept Christ, when we receive Christ, that ultimately we see that we are not going to stand in judgment but that we are going to receive the love and the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the kindness of God. God is desiring that every single person would receive the gift of salvation. The Bible says that God wills that none should perish, that none would be eternally separated from us. I want you to think about it from God's perspective. You were created by him. He chose your personality. He, he, he picked every single part of you. He, he, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He drew you out and put breath into your, your lungs and your life. Why did he do that? Why did God create you? Why were you created by God? You were created by God to love and be loved. That, that's why you were created to be able to enter into an eternal loving relationship with God. That's why you were created. And so God's desire is, is that you would spend eternity with him. That is his heart and that is his desire. But God gave us free will and God is not going to force anybody into a loving relationship with himself. He's not going to force a person into that. And so he invites, he woos, he pursues, he created you, he made you. His desire is to hold you and to have you for all e eternity. The question is, are you willing? Or are you resisting? 
Are you going to resist the love of God? Are you going to resist the invitation of God? Are you going to resist the spending eternity uh, with uh, God? When, when we choose to love God, I want you to know that we're only responding to God's love. God is the initiator. God is the one that loved you before you even were, before you were even born. Uh, he loved you. He knew you. Uh, and then he created you and, uh, and drew you forth. And so uh, it is that responding to God and to God's love. That is, that is the invitation of Christ. Uh, we see the, the thing that would separate you from the love of God is your sin. But God in his infinite wisdom has sent that resolution for us in, in Christ Jesus. And, and all we need to do is to uh, receive that. That's what the first eight chapters of the book of Romans were, uh, were all about. Uh, how the sin that separates us is removed uh, by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we're either going to keep our sin on ourselves or we're going to put our sin onto the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we do that so that we can enter into that loving relationship uh, with God. And so this morning, we, we have that same choice that is before us. We have God that is wooing, God that is chasing, God that is pursuing, God that is inviting you into that love relationship with him that, that starts now but will never end. That eternal love relationship begins right now. It doesn't begin in heaven. We see that we enter into his presence in heaven, but we enter into that love eternal relationship right now and all you need to do is to just receive the pursuing love uh, of God know that your sin is what separates you whether it is just a little bit of sin or uh, an enormous amount of sin but that sin is what separates you from God and God wants that to be removed by you accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And when you do that, you become adopted into the family of God. You become a child of God. You become a citizen uh, of heaven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life is the citizenship of heaven. And your name now gets written uh, there. And you become an eternal child of God. But that has to be your decision. No one can make it for you. God won't force you into it. You have to recognize and understand and you have to enthrone God as God in your life. You have to enthrone Christ unto the seat of your heart, the seat of authority in, in your life. And the minute that you do that, you become God's child. And so this morning, I'm going to give that invitation, that offer, that anybody who wants to do that, if you've never done that before, uh, I want to invite you to come to the front of the platform as, as we worship through a song. And, and at the end, I will just lead whoever desires to enter into that relationship in a simple prayer of acceptance. And so if that's you, this is your time to receive that gift of eternal life. Just stand up and come now to receive that gift.
Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation that, uh, that we have received. God, we thank you for the way in which you pursued us. And God, the way in which ultimately we stopped running. And we received that incredible gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to come and to live the perfect life and to lay down your life for us as the Lamb of God. Holy Spirit, thank you for residing in us, working with us, instructing us, changing us, and molding us into the men and women of God that we desire to be and that you would have us to be. God, thank you for your great love in our lives. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.